Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very senior coach and a successful entrepreneur, Mr. Paul Donkers from the Netherlands. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me, Ashutosh. Thank you. Uh, Paul is the, is the partner of the 10 company. He's the creator of the Ikigai Coaching Institute. He's a business coach, a consultant, speaker, entrepreneur, teacher, investor, and facilitator. So today, Paul, we're going to talk to you about your coach role. Uh, and you know, we'll ask you some interesting questions on that. So let me start by saying that when I was reading about you, you said that you believe that most successful companies of our time are led by leaders that know themselves. Mm-hmm. Let me understand this belief with an example or an anecdote. Yes, no, I'm happy to share an anecdote uh, about this with you. But of course, I have to make it uh, anonymous. But mm-hmm. you know, let me start by saying approximately 10 years ago, we were working for a um, public company. And we were working with the CEO and his leadership team. And the CEO was an ex-CFO, so he came out of finance, I believe he was an accountant, and he evolved into becoming the CEO. But the man was, I would say, limited in self-awareness. So he was not very aware of his own emotions on how he felt. And the result of this was that he was extremely focused on money. You know, money for the company, which the shareholders liked, of course, in, in many ways but also for himself. So he was assuming that when he was, for instance, appointing people in his own leadership team, that money was everything that mattered to also to his direct report, mm-hmm. which led eventually to, I'd say, suboptimal appointments in his leadership team. There were, you know, it was a, what I call like a one-sided leadership team. So people were not speaking up to him. He ended up, um, you know, having people around him that were not um, giving him any coaching or any mentoring. Mm -hmm. So eventually, long story short, because he was, let's say, not a very good psychologist and he was not able to place himself in the shoes of what people around him really needed, he ended up uh, having this um, very money-focused, you know, style of leadership, Mm -hmm. short-term oriented, and eventually the company got sold. And um, I think this is just one anecdote. So I think it's really important for leaders to be self-aware. Every, for me, every effective leader is always a little bit of a psychologist. He is mm-hmm. able, or she is able to put herself into the shoes of the people that she needs or that you need to have Very a interesting. Very interesting. So Paul, tell me, uh, what made you become a coach? Okay. So, you know, the short version is, I guess, that, you know, I, I learned it through life, mm-hmm. and meaning that I spent my time in corporate, and I still am, you know, grateful for the years there. It still helps me when I deliver my own coaching, my own business coaching, helps me every day to know what really go, what's going on there when you live the life of corporate. But I found out, I guess, the hard way in a way that this wasn't my place on this earth. And I learned through life that being around a leadership team or around the leaders as um, 
how do you say this? You know, as somebody who's who tells the people what they need to hear, because I am not a, I am temporary a part of an organization, or I am temporary part of you know in the in the close environment of a CEO or of his, one of his direct reports. I tell them the things that they need to say. Uh, sorry, I tell them the things that they need to hear. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I, I know now that this is my place in this world. And, you know, being a coach, being a business coach, uh, being a mentor sometimes, being a consultant is for me the place to be. And that's why I make a difference. So, you know, as I was uh, thinking back four decades ago when I started working, coaching or mentoring was done either by an elder in the family or by a senior boss who took a liking for you. What has changed that has made coaching into a formal experience that people are willing to pay for? That's a, it's actually a good question. And I think there's, you know, to be honest, I think there's still an, an, an element there that you need, you need some experience, I think, to be effective in coaching, especially when you are coaching in the C-suite or when you are coaching at a senior level or when you are coaching entrepreneurs. And for me, at this level, it starts to blur a bit. You know, it's not only about coaching. It's also a bit about mentoring. Sometimes it's a little bit about consulting. Sometimes mm -hmm. it is about using your own experience, you know, having lived through some of these things that you are able to, you know, comfort your coachee or comfort your client. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we have learned that asking the right questions is probably the most essential part of coaching. And for it, you don't need to have all the experience per se. You know, it's more about asking the right questions, shut up, listen to what your client has to say or what your coach has to say. It's not about you, you know, it's about being more the, you know, the navigator, helping somebody start on a journey of discovery. And, that, and that's what you can do with asking the right questions. But if you don't have the experience, I think it's really hard to get into, you know, to be effective at the top levels, to be honest. Interesting. And, you know, you just mentioned that sometimes one has to be a coach and sometimes one has to be a mentor. Correct. What is the difference between coaching and mentoring? Well, I don't, you know, I, I am not so much, to be honest, uh, I'm not so much of a semantics guy. So for me, it blurs at some point. But to me, the way I look at it is if I am, you know, almost I look at it in, in, in a digital way, you know, coaching is about asking the right questions. You don't have to be an expert per se. It's more that you are, you know, making yourself small and helping your client go through the journey mentoring implies that you have done it before that you have been there that some of the challenges that your client or the leadership team you're working with is going through that you have lived it before so you can come up with advice you can be more you know give more tangible ideas tools etc and that's where coaching mentoring consulting you know kind of blurs for me when you go to the top of that interesting so my next question to you is that at what stage of my career should I look for a coach? <laughs> um, you know, I think that you can use coaching at any age. Um, but I think for me, critical, you know, is more, are you really open to it 
or are you not really open to it? And that's sometimes when a company or an organization purchases coaching for their employees, mm -hmm. you get sometimes in situations where people are, you know, so, so open to it. And that's where coaching probably is not always very effective. My most successful coaching journeys or my most successful coaches are as a starting point, I don't care about their age, but they're really open to it. They are, in, uh, you know, they are investing some time in it. And sometimes they are investing even some of their own real money into it. And that's where we, people really have skin in it. Mm. But if you want to, you know, go to the next level, all of us, we get to a point where you are, let's say in your 30s, where you get to these make or break moments in your professional life. Mm -hmm. And you get blind spots and a coach, a good coach will, like I said earlier, a good coach will tell you what you need to hear, not mm -hmm. necessarily what you want to hear. And that's where a coach can have a, a huge impact on your uh, possibilities. Excellent. And how long should a coaching relationship be for? Okay. So again, here I am going to be a bit, you know, to the extremes, an effective coaching conversation could be or a coaching journey could be as long as one session sometimes mm -hmm. you know when it's some just when some people get stuck or get you know they 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 cannot get their head around some of the issues that they are working with can be as much as one as one session and on the other side of the spectrum i currently have some of my clients that i'm working with for, for almost 20 years now so, you know, I am, I am coaching there on their journey. I'm living their professional life with them. When they get to crossroads, the, you know, the, the, the contact is more intense. Sometimes in between, it's a little uh, less intense. So it's more, you know, does the coach still provide you with the right feedback, the right navigation? It's still, you know, a coach is not an expensive friend. A coach is a professional relationship. Uh, keeping you sharp and, and enabling you to get to the next level. And that's fascinating. Yeah. fascinating. And uh, before you decide to take on a new coachee, what do you look for in her or him? Well, you know, you mean when I take on a new client? Hmm. Um, like I said earlier, I think for me it's critical. I want to feel and not only that the person tells me but i want to feel that, that somebody's really in it with his heart or her heart and soul and really is open to you know to challenge assumptions somebody that can handle direct feedback you know my style is pretty straightforward uh i i but i will never do it to hurt somebody or whatever but you know to give somebody opportunities to uh, to grow and i will always do it in you know, in a one-on-one -on -one and never in public, what, all of these things, but you, you still must be able to handle feedback and you must be able to handle sometimes some of the stories that you have told yourself over the years or the blind spots that you have that, and I will probably ch challenge some of them. And, you know, it's, there's an insight, you know, you probably got to a successful level due to your behavior. Mm -hmm. Because the higher you, you get, the more important your behavior comes becomes, the less important your technical skills become. But it's also due that, you know, you get to a certain level, sometimes despite of your behavior. And if you want to grow to the next level, you will have to change your, some of your old behaviors. 
But those old behaviors, you are kind of addicted to them because they gave you the, you know, they made you successful, at least that's how you think about it. But I will probably challenge some of those to look at it in a different way. And you must be able to handle that. So I want to see. Fascinating. And conversely, how does a coachee or your client evaluate that I have a good coach? Okay, so depends a bit on, you know, the type of coaching you're hiring, you know, are you into more life coaching? Uh, is it more like purpose coaching? Is it more like what, I, what we call stakeholder coaching? Mm-hmm. But if we work, let's assume we do a coaching in a business, in a business context. So we are working with a C-level leader. For me, and the, C-le- and the mission is that the C-level leader needs to become a bit more effective or more rounded, whatever, or mm-hmm. more executive, charisma, whatever. For me, the best measurement of the effectiveness of the coaching is not if the coachee is, 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 feels fine about it. It's not if the coach feels, fi- feels fine about it, but if the people around the leader... Mm-hmm start to see differences in style, in approach, and not like, you know, a one-trick pony or a one-time, but in a sustainable change of, uh, of approach. And that's where I think you can measure the real impact of, uh, of an effective coaching intervention. Very interesting. So, you know, I was speaking to some other people who coach, and uh, I was given a very interesting perspective. They said that this is a two-way relationship where if... A coachee is not happy with the coach. The coachee can terminate and vice versa. If the coachee is not doing the work that the coach is asking him to do or her to do, the coach can terminate the process. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Um, depend, of course, of course, I, I have to agree with this one. Um, what we usually do is when we go, when we enter into a coaching program, you know, we make sure that we try to do the intake and, you know, the, let's say the due diligence as good as we can from our side. The coachee needs to, needs to do the same thing from her or his side. But when you go to a coaching relationship, and I was talking about, you know, coaching could be as much as one session, but our regular approach is if you want to have sustainable behavioral change and as a result of the coaching, you're going to need at least something like six to nine months. Okay. Because, you know, before, before, like an old fox, before you are, you know, going through the self-awareness process, uh, changing your behavior, and before your, the people around you see sustainable change, you are sometimes, you know, more than six months down the road. So one of the big risks of coaching, of, of not effective coaching, is that it's too short. So I, I am advocating for at least something like six to nine months. But usually when we work with leaders, it should be something around 12 months as a sweet spot for me. And then if it still makes sense, you can continue. But of course, at any time, both can terminate the contract. However... This is what you should normally not do. I mean, you should do the due diligence uh, good in the beginning because, you know, you have to be able to to be confrontational to each other. Very interesting. So I've got one more question for you with regard to coaching and then a few questions for you in another segment. Uh, Do you see a difference in coaching someone who is in her or his 50s and someone who's a millennial or a Gen Z? Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's a huge difference mm-hmm. for, 
when you work with people in their 50s, and of course, this is an exaggeration, not for everybody, mm -hmm. but usually you get into this phase of your life where you are at least plateauing in your, in your professional life. You know, people do not have the physical strength anymore that they used to have. You know, they could be, you know, like working extremely hard and their body was oftentimes not really talking. Well, perhaps it was talking to them, but they were not, you know, not yet experiencing the, the downside so much of it. So we see a lot of people who have worked, who were working perhaps too hard um, you know, uh, and also having an impact on their physical, on their physical state. So we see a lot of people in their 50s thinking about, you know, can I maintain this until I'm 65 or 70? Uh, you know, what is my, is this what I want to do with this third phase of my professional life? What is actually my legacy? Uh, what is perhaps my purpose? You know, am I in a phase of my life where you know, financials are perhaps, you know, a bit lower on the high, in the hierarchy of my priorities. Can mm -hmm. I start to shift into more like a portfolio career? So that's a very um, different, you know, questions that people asking themselves when they get into our office. Mm -hmm. While you, when you are working with millennials or Gen Zers, you know, what is really nice about this generation these days, and again, this is not for everybody, mm -hmm. but they are usually more open, they own their professional life. When they are entering the labor market, they don't think, you know, I am going to work for Unilever or whatever for the rest of my life. They, they think about, you know, they take responsibility for owning their career. Mm -hmm. uh, they are oftentimes more transparent. They are okay to work on their own purpose and their own, you know, direction in professional life, you know, in small groups, they like to work in groups, they like to do it via games, they like to use apps, where when we work with, the, let's say, the 50 plus plusers, they want to do it one on one, you know, almost like, you know, almost class in a classic style, they're usually a little less open about, you know, what's what's really going on. Mm. Uh, but but both are very nice. Very interesting. So, Paul, I'm now going to move to the next segment of our conversation. My viewers and listeners love to get to know a little more about my guest. So my first question to you is that, you know, you work with so many clients. You are, you know, interacting, changing their lives. What are some of the core values you believe in? Yeah, well, I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about this. And for me, and there are a couple, I think, a couple of things that are really, really important. And I think especially in the times that we are living, you know, I think always, but especially today, I think that optimism is one of the things that we, are, we absolutely need. And especially with, you know, climate change and uh, I think especially with climate change, I, perhaps also to an extent also with the pandemic that we are working, that we are living through right now. But I think especially on the, you know, on the, let's say on the midterm, I think especially the climate change will have a much bigger impact on our lives than, than, than the current pandemic, than the current pandemic. So I, I always have thought that, you know, optimism is a moral obligation, but I think, I think we should always look for, uh, for the upside in things, not to be naive, but I think it's all, at the end of the day, it's the most effective way to you know, to, to change things. And change is my second core value. I think that innovation, renewing ourselves, renewing in the way we have lived our lives, renewing how we 
you know, if we have earning models in our companies that have served us for decades, can we, you know, reinvent ourselves? Can we find new ways? And the same goes, you know, connecting it again to climate change, for instance. There are a lot of inventions and a lot of scale, scaling up of things that we're going to need to do in the, in the next few decades. So optimism and, and innovation are two of my core values that I would like to Wonderful. share with you. Wonderful. My next question to you is from a corporate life to a coach to working with so many different people, you know, ikigai, speaker, entrepreneur, teacher, investor. As you look at life, what does success mean to Paul? <laughs> well, success is, you know, success comes in many ways. And I, I you know, I talked about the word legacy. So I think success in many ways is also, you know, who are, who are the people that we still talk about, you know, and, and when you really think about it, you see so often that people hold on to things for a long time, hold on to power, or perhaps for oftentimes too long. So success means, you know, also letting things go, giving things to, you know, the next generation, think about legacy and also have some compassion for the people around you. I think, you know, we are all having, working with demons, fighting demons, trying to navigate our own way through life. And if you can look at people also with some compassion, I think that's what success looks like. Wonderful. So I have time for two more questions. My next question is who or what inspires you? Um, I do a lot of, I do quite well, a lot. I do quite some reading. Mm -hmm. um, so I make sure that I, that I do, um, you know, my, my reading and I, they, the books that I read uh, vary from the more psychological books to the business books to, um, to the economist, uh, the economist, for instance. And that's where I, you know, develop, I try to develop my own thinking and I, I try to, uh, to sharpen my own thinking. So um, I, if you want to, I can share with you a couple of books that have... Uh, I would love have, to. Tell me. I'm going to turn around and, and take sure. up, you know, three very different books, but in, a, in its own way have inspired me a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm going to first show you a book about a company, uh, uh, a US-based company called Patagonia. Mm -hmm. um, it, the book is called Let My People Go Surfing. Mm -hmm. why, why do I show you this one? Because this, this company is completely geared around sustainability, but not like greenwashing since, since 12 months or so, but they are doing it in a very uh, almost activist way, but already since the beginning. So this is really in the DNA. And I think also today it can inspire a lot of other companies. So this is an inspirational one for me. Mm -hmm. On the other side of the spectrum, very different. A book called The Founder's Mentality, mm -hmm. very relevant. I see a lot of, not only, not, not only our clients, but in general, a lot of heritage companies with, you know, earning models that have, have, made, have made them rich, have made them money for decades, but they are sometimes struggling to reinvent themselves, get back to the core, mm -hmm. make money, and they are, you know, they, are, they get buried in complexity after all those years. And this book can really give you tools, insight, inspiration, how you can, when you are running a heritage company, how you can go back to the essence 
and find the entrepreneurship again back in uh, back in the company. Terrific. And then the last one uh, I'm going to show you is a book called The Four Disciplines of Execution. Mm -hmm. We use it a lot with our clients in uh, for strategy execution. So you know, strategy for a company is not always is often not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is the execution of the strategy. So mm -hmm. what you see happening all the time in companies as is is they build a, they build a strategy. Everybody is more or less happy with the strategy, but they uh, they have so much difficulty to get into this routine of real effective execution, and that's where a company can make the real difference. So, three books, very different, but in itself, I, for me, they are extremely inspirational. Fabulous, Paul. We run out of time, uh, but thank you very much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for telling me so many new things about coaching. And most importantly, thank you for sharing these three amazing books. I mean, I'm sure my viewers and listeners will make a note of the names and uh, try and read some of these. Thank you again and good luck. Thank you, Ashutas. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.